Psalm 96. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless his name. Tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations. How marvelous his works among all the peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols. But the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory that is due his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in splendor of holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the field exult and everything in it. Then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord, for he comes, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Father, we ask that you would forgive us for taking too lightly your presence here amongst us. Forgive us for half-hearted singing, half-hearted praises. Father, that you would give us a heart to worship, even this morning, through your word we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Well, I think most of you are very familiar with the blockbuster uh, Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark. It's a movie that has now become a classic, and at the time, you have to understand, um, it wasn't quite predicted that the movie was going to do as well as it did. Uh, it was quite the shock, and, and, and yet, uh, because of the production, because of the effects and everything, it was, I mean, theme parks have even created rides out of it, have they not? And in fact, the movie was shown for an entire year in some movie theaters, nonstop being played. It did so well. Um, and, and of course, um, it's interesting what the plotline of the movie is. It's rather interesting. It's re- it revolves around this the Ark, the Ark of the Covenant. And for those of you who know your biblical history, it's this box, this wooden structure that has been carved out and it has been overlaid with gold. And it's this ornate, beautiful thing with this atonement seat, this mercy seat that is on top of it in which these crafted cherubim angels are there bowing down in worship. And inside the ark is the tablets of stone of the Ten Commandments. It's the very heart of of God's law for his people because God's law reveals his very character in which we find God himself to be trustworthy, to be true, to be loving, to to not take what doesn't belong to him. Um, And and we find all these character traits in this box of, of God that we are to emulate by obeying his law. And then with the, where the angels are in between the two angels is where the very presence of God comes to dwell. But in, but in the Raiders of the Lost Ark, the idea was this, the Nazis, uh, this is pre World War II, are, are, are trying to get a hold of this Ark. For if they can get a hold of the Ark, well then you, there's this idea that you have the presence of God with you if you have the Ark with you. And if you have the presence of God with you, all the wars that you're about to face, well don't worry, you'll win because God will be with you. 
And, and it is true uh, in the Old Testament, there is a sense of this. And we'll get into the reality of how true this all is. But David, um, he finally gets into Jerusalem. Uh, there's been all these skirmishes and he comes into Jerusalem and he's very excited and They've recently had victory over the Philistines. Remember David and Goliath and then those pesky Philistines, they finally had put them off. Um, They were in the city. God was blessing the people. There was peace for a moment. And, And David says, something's not right here. The Ark of the Covenant isn't here where the people are worshiping. And so he says, let's get the ark over here. And it's very important how this is to be done. Nobody's to touch the ark. Um, it's to be brought in very carefully. And David says, we're, we're not just going to do anything here. This is so important that if, if, if the presence of God is coming and this ark is to be with us, we're, we're going to sing. We're going to praise God about this. And so he says, he gets Asaph and all the, the singers and, and the choir singers. He says, look, here's what I'd like you to do. I want you to write a number one hit. Don't write some crummy song with some just, no, we're writing the best song we can write. A song of joy. And when the ark's coming in, we're all going to sing this and you'll lead us in this and it'll be a great time of triumph and joy. It'd be very much like if I said, hey, God's going to come through these doors and when he does, Judy, um, get together with Clay and the worship team up here and I just want you to write the best song so that we can really praise God when he walks through the doors. And and so, essentially, in Chronicles chapter 16, we, we see the song. And the song that you read there in 1 Chronicles 16, it, it can, you can compare the two with our Psalm 96. Uh, many of the lines are just one-to-one. You can see the correlation that this psalm is tapping into the very heart of God's presence coming in the ark into the presence of the people so that their hearts swell with praise and they're really engaged in worshiping him. It, it's a small picture, but nonetheless, it's a picture of why you and I are here this morning celebrating. We are joyful in Christ That God has come to be in our very presence. Here Christ has arrived this morning and is with us in his room. His spirit is amongst us, we believe, right now. And it's the very reason we celebrate Advent. Because Christ come in his spirit to be with us. This brings joyful praise. How can we not sing if God is with us? We, We must sing. And for those who trust in Christ, the scripture assures us we will have victory because Christ's presence is indeed with us. And so it calls us to joy and to praise him and to ascribe to him what is due. And so this morning, with an eye towards Advent, we will first sing to him for what he has done, verses 1 through 6. We will ascribe to him glory for who he is. Verses 7 through 9. And then we will tell the nations what he will do. Verses 10 through 13. So we'll sing to him for what he's done. Ascribe to him glory for who he is. And tell the nations what he will do. First, sing to him for what he has done. Here we have this wonderful stacking. If you see the beginning of the psalm in Psalm 96, it says sing, 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 and then tell and declare. And throughout scripture, there is a surprising number of passages that tell us to sing. Throughout the Psalms, it's there. Sing. Even in the New Testament, we have examples. Paul and Silas, they're in prison. What do they do? They don't sit there and lick their wounds. They sing. They praise God. And then we have Paul even later uh, commanding 
the, the, the Christians that they would sing. Telling the Christians to sing one to one another. Making melody in our hearts, singing about what God has done. And in our passage this morning, it, it, it says sing. And sometimes when we come to these sort of passages and we kind of go, well, how does this apply? We just miss the obvious. It, it says sing. I mean, are you with me? It, it says sing. So like, what am I supposed to do? Ah, sing. It's here. And, and I know the tendency. We say, well, that's all fine, but I don't have great pitch, Thomas. Well, that's not what this is about. You say, I'm just not really into it, Thomas. And I say, that's a red flag, friend. You ought to, as you sing the words, even if your heart's not fully engaged, pray. Wouldn't my heart believe what I'm singing? Would this become true deep down in my soul? Um, some of us will say, Thomas, you, you don't understand. Singing is for the ladies. It's not for the men. Well, I want to remind you historically. Historically, singing has been for the men. It has been a manly thing to sing. And I know some people, and you know, I get it. I'm, I get it. Some people are on a quest to make America great again. I, I'm on a quest to make, make singing great again. Um, you know, and, and, and part of me believes, like, if our churches were really singing, if all the evangelical churches where people walked in and these people were singing with all their gusto, I think it would make our nation great again. Because people would walk in and they would say, Here's a people who really believe there's a heaven and a hell. Here's a people who believe life matters. Here's a people who believe in darkness and light. And and I think that would radically change some of the things that we see. And, and, And our quest here as we sing, we are not just singing about ourselves or about our circumstances. We are singing and revolving. If you could picture us all singing around something, we're revolving around God. So that this morning when we cry out to him and we're making great harmony and I'm, I'm so, I love to hear you sing. It's, it blesses me. We're not calling attention to ourselves. We're not singing how great we are or, uh, you know, what we have accomplished, but we are getting our minds and our hearts praising God for what he has done. And this psalm calls us to sing that very thing. And it tells us, well, it calls us to tell and declare as well. Through our worship, we are making known what God has done, which is a, a, a play on words here because it's in contrast with what the idols have done. The Lord here created everything and the idols here have created nothing. And so our worship then should cease to, to praise them. Um, I think there's a pervasive view that we face here that only religious people worship. Only religious people who gather in, in churches or synagogues or mosques somewhere, they're the people who are worshiping. But um, I, I want to push back on that. I, I want to argue that everyone worships. Uh, to which you say, well, Thomas, I'm an atheist. I mean, I, I don't worship at all. But let me prove to you something else. Let me prove to you. Does your heart ever well up inside of you and you, you say, I, I so desire this thing. I so want this thing that, that I, I want it really bad. I want this job. I want this relationship. I want this new home. I want this new position. And I'm willing to do whatever it takes to get a hold of it. I, I'm willing to work hard. I, I, I'm willing to lose sleep, lose money, give up my energy for this thing because I want it so bad. And you may even use this word, I'm willing to sacrifice for it. 
You see, in biblical terms, what we just said, you so strongly desire and are willing to sacrifice for something, that is what you worship. You worship the career, you worship the spouse, we worship our new homes, and all one has to do is truly, to prove it to us, is just take it away from you and see our reactions. Because the way idols function in our hearts is that as soon as idols are taken away, the heart becomes enraged and becomes very upset when when it's taken away from us. Now, when I was younger, I don't remember seeing this kid, but I recall adults over talking about this child. And the child was um, one of these kids who always had to have something and it was his toy. And when he got a hold of it, he just kind of became a monster about it. It's mine. Gimme, gimme, gimme. And, and, and what was said was this child was so engrossed about the stuff that he got that if a parent or, you know, a teacher or somebody would come, come and take it away from him, the kid's face would become bright beet red. And then in a fit of rage, he would hold his breath until he passed out. And so whatever you're holding your breath for, that's your idol. The clean home. The to-do list, it could be your status, could be your kids, your health, your security, whatever it is, that's what you ultimately are worshiping. It's your idol. And the discouraging thing about idols is they never really give you a lasting sense of joy and purpose like the Lord will. They demand of you, they say, give me your time, give me your money, give me your energy, and They want your emotions, but they won't deliver. That's why the psalmist here says, look at verse four, where he says, for great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He's to be feared above all the gods for all the gods of the peoples are, you see this worthless idols, but the Lord has made the heavens splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. You see this contrast back and forth between the the false fake gods, the idols, and the Lord, they didn't make the heavens. He did. They won't save you. He will. They haven't done anything to bring you peace this Advent season. Through his atoning work, Christ came this morning to bring you peace. He came to the cradle so that we, we, he would live as you and I will never live. Never before has there ever been a man who lived, who loved, and was holy as God in Christ is, so that we can say, Jesus lived the life that you should have lived. And then from the cradle, Jesus went to the cross and died the death that we deserve. And it it is this picture of the righteous man in place of the unrighteous people. And it began at the cradle, at Advent, at Christmas, where we read in Luke chapter 2 how Simeon, He sees this Jesus and he recognized this is more than a mere baby. He says, Lord, now you're letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation and you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and glory for your people in Israel. This friends is indeed, this is what we sing about this morning. We sing about it this morning as verse two says, sing to the Lord, bless his name, tell of his salvation. From day to day. And so there's a sense in which we talk about the redeeming work that Christ has done. It's an ongoing conversation. We don't move on from it. We stick with this good news that you need and I need this morning. So we sing to the Lord for what he's done. And what what he's done is no less 
than create everything. He has rescued his people from destruction, both physically and at times for all of us spiritually. And we sing of this good news. We sing rejoicing that God would desire to know us and walk with us forever. And this leads the psalmist then onto this third sec- or second section here, where we are to, get, or to ascribe uh, glory for who he is. Ascribe to him glory for who he is, verses 7 through 9. I'm going to read these again to bring them to mind. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord glory do his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Who, who is it that is deserving of all this praise? Who is it that we're singing here about? It's no less than the Lord. And, and, and it is... The capital L-O-R-D, this is, you'll notice this in the text. Throughout this passage in the Psalms, it's always capital L-O-R-D. And the reason being is that this is not speaking of the lowercase or capital L, lowercase O-R-D, which would be Adonai. This here is the covenantal name Yahweh. And this is important as it's bringing to mind the very covenantal God who is the one who said, I'm going to give you my law and my ways and walk in them and I will be your God and you shall be my people. With the whole scene of the ark, it is important that we don't lose sight of the very name that God has given him, given us. This, this is a God who, who is not just a God of light. He, he's not just a God who's this ethereal presence, but he actually is a God of relationship. And that's what covenants are about. It's an oath-bound relationship. And, and so here, God with real feelings a real personality and preferences that he in various times and ways has revealed to us. And he's using his covenantal name. It helps remind the singers that this God personally cares for them. That here he's using this covenantal name to help them remind them that he's created a people who will belong to him and he will protect them. He will care for them. He will live for them. He will die for them. This is the good Lord, L-O-R-D, that we ascribe glory, strength, Offerings and worship. Now, ascribe is an interesting word. I don't recall the last time I walked around and said, well, I'm going to ascribe to you something. It's not a popular word. We don't use it in that way. We typically use the word give. Give is something that we do. Um, but here, it's, it's interesting because ascribe doesn't have the sense of just giving to some, somebody something like, I give you a gift. But here, ascribe has this sense of giving something that is owed. Something that you're giving it back to somebody that it belongs to. In other words, we give glory and strength and offerings and worship because it is the very thing that belongs to the God, the God, not the idols of the world, but to Yahweh, to him. And so Christian, I just ask you to sit back and reflect for a minute and think, do you ever tell yourself the story of God? Do you rehearse who he is, how he created everything? out of nothing, and how because of our rebellion, we deserved to be destroyed, to be cast away. And he in his grace, he's forgiven us. And and how in love he bore the guilt for every wrong that you and I have ever committed. Do you reflect on this? Advent, Christmas season, is a time to reflect on why he came, and it encompasses all of this. When you reflect on his on, on this, the, and joy comes over you, and, you're, and your heart actually wells up about who God really is, what you're doing in that moment is you are ascribing, you're giving him worship, you are giving him praise and glory. 
You're making much in weightiness and heaviness of who God is. The, the Christmas story of Jesus forces us to consider not just what God has done in Christ, but friends, it also calls us to consider what he will do. And further, who will be the recipients of what he will do. And so we turn thirdly to tell the nations of what he will do. Verses 10 through 13. Say, say to the nations, the Lord reigns. Yes, the world is, a, is established and it shall never be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the field exult and everything in it. Then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord. For he comes, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness. So did, did you catch who this psalm is for? Um, this, this psalm, well, it's, it's for the Jews. I mean, they're the ones singing it. They're in Jerusalem. It's for the Jews. They're, they're the ones sitting there in ancient Israel. Sure. Sure. But amazingly, God, although he was primarily working in and through one ethnic people, the promise going back as far as Abraham is that God's act of salvation was not going to be relegated just to one people, to one nation. It was sweeping all the nations into a new people that God was creating. This is why this psalm references, look at this, verse 1, all the earth, nations and peoples, verse 3, families of the peoples, verse 7, say to the nations, verse 10. In, in 1871, a French archaeologist, Charles Clermont Ganou, discovered a plaque which stood at the entrance to the Jerusalem temple. And this plaque, it was written in Greek, and it reads this. No outsider shall enter the protective enclosure around the sanctuary, and whoever is caught will only have himself to blame for the ensuing death. Why? Because while many churches right now, you will go to them and they will say, everybody is welcome here. In, in, in ancient Judaism, they had signs that were exclusive. The signs said, we have the right to God, you do not. One of the major themes of the gospel is now that Christ has come, the time of exclusion is to be done away. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, nor slave or free, nor male or female, for we are all now one in Christ. The society that Jesus rules over. Friends, it's, it's not just the Ethiopians. It's not just the Canadians or Israelites or Australians. But he is the good king of all Christians everywhere who worship him this morning all over. So that he is worthy of praise. Back up to the very beginning of this song, the psalm, and we read, O sing to the Lord a new song, sing to the Lord all the earth. And it's interesting here because if you were to go back to First Chronicles where the ark was coming into Jerusalem, David says, everybody let's praise God as he's entering in because of the presence of, of him is with his people in the ark here. And you compare and contrast all these lines and they're so similar. There's all these, this overlap. But there, the original, it says, sing to the Lord a song. But then here we see, sing to the Lord a new song. And then it unfolds this entire thing. To which we say, now wait a sec. How is that supposed to work? What is it as we're singing about what God will do that we are understanding that this is, there's a newness that is coming, a newness that's come about? Well, 
If you go searching throughout the Bible, you say, where are the spots where we read new song? The major standout place is the throne scene in heaven in Revelation chapter 5. I want to read this and catch the flow. Don't, don't miss this. Between the throne, this is chapter 5, verse 6. Between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and he took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lord, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song. There it is. And the song is this. Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals for you were slain. And by your blood, you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you've made them a kingdom and priests to our God and they shall reign on the earth. Then later concludes by singing to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. What a sight this is going to be when people who don't look anything like you, who don't look anything like me, who were worshiping God hundreds of years ago or hundreds of years in the future, and we are all gathered around singing the new song. And it won't be very different from Psalm 96, singing praise to God for who he is, ascribing glory that's due to his name, and telling all the peoples there, what? about what God has done and what he will do. And here in this psalm, as we are closing out in 96, even nature is joining in in the praise. The picture is of heaven and earth and everything in between is bursting with joy that God is coming. We see this in 11 through 13 where we read, let the sea roar and all that fills it and the field and everything and the trees of the forest shall sing for joy for the Lord before he before the Lord for he comes. And what comes to mind, of course, is even as was referenced earlier. Look, if we don't praise God, all of creation is not is going to break out into song. Why? Because all of creation, just like you and I, are waiting for what God will do—the restoration to re bring about a new birth. There's a reason why the trees die. There's a reason why the fish die because they're waiting for that day too. Just as much as you and I are waiting for what God will do when he restores everything and he wipes away every tear from the earth. And so the song that we will sing in just a little bit here, joy to the world, one of the lines and and look for it. It says, let no more sins and sorrows grow nor thorns infest the ground because there's a recognition Things are not right. And God's promises, inasmuch as he has secured our salvation, that he is coming again to bring to an end all the wrongs. Romans 8 reads, For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For creation was subjected to fertility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. That creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom and the glory of the children of God. And so the picture is not only are the people excited at the presence of God and his return, even creation that suffers is excited for the renewal. And surprisingly, they're glad and happy that he's coming to do what? It's the very last section here. He's coming to judge the earth. Time out. Why would 
Why, why be happy about God's judgment? Judgment isn't good, is it? I mean, if God's coming to judge and our, our, our culture looks down on judgment, this is not a good thing, is it? Well, well, certainly it's not if the sense that you're having is he's coming to do away with you and there's no hope of salvation. But that's certainly not the thrust here. This psalm is sweeping in and bringing in all of God's work of rescue and salvation. So perhaps more in line with the t- tone of this psalm is to see that God in his coming, when he comes with fairness and equity, nobody's going to be mistreated by Jesus. When he comes, nobody, when they face Christ the judge, will be unfairly squandered or put out of place or cast out. And we can say honestly with the whole Bible in view that all who face hell someday will fully and fairly and squarely deserve whatever comes. But friends, the very reason that God has given us his word this morning is for you to hear the good news. That Jesus was judged on your behalf. That only in Christ, because he's come to Bethlehem, can the gavel come down in full judgment, not on you, but on him. Uh, Picture a man who sees a speeding truck coming and he sees this woman out in the road and the man dashes and shoves the woman out of the way onto the grass while the truck runs him over. This is the picture of Jesus Christ. In his saving you was died. He died on your behalf, taking the judgment that you deserve so that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Romans 10 verse 9. And for this reason, Christ came. And for this reason, Christ told us that he would come again. And for this reason, God's coming equitable judgment can be welcomed. We can say with joy, we can welcome this. This is a happy psalm. I'm not sure what comes to mind when you think of Christians in joy. Some people view um, church life is if we're all just like grabbed a hold of the worst sour lemons and, and biting in it and we're just frowning. But first, just compare Islam for a minute here. Here's a quote from the Grand Atoya of Iran. He, he says, Allah did not create man so that he could have fun. The aim of creation was for mankind to be put to the test and through hardship and prayer. An Islamic regime must be serious in every field. There are no jokes in Islam. There's no humor in Islam. There's no fun in Islam. There can be no fun and joy in whatever is serious. Islam does not allow swimming in the sea. It is opposed to the radio and television shows. And compare that, friends, to our passage here this morning. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord, all the earth. Sing to the Lord and bless his name. Let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. In the book, A Weary World Rejoices, Sarah Zilstra, she says, Our creator is the one who invented jokes and belly laughs and parties. He gave us friendships and dance moves and the ability to come up with a perfectly timed one-liner. Jesus' very first miracle, it wasn't to destroy the wicked or even to feed the hungry, but to add wine to a week-long wedding party. And when he returns for us, the celebration is going to be even more magnificent. I think she's right. And so we too, with a true happiness and a true joy about Christ the babe come, you and I at the same moment, we can long for judgment to come. We can long for all the wrongs to be made right. We want to see hurts undone. We want to see payment for those who devise wickedness and darkness, for the predators, for the abusers, and for the manipulators. And and this psalm promises that that is coming so you and I can rest singing joy to the world this morning. 
Because God sees. God knows. And he's coming. The psalm calls us to sing for what the Lord has done. In Christ, he has saved us. The psalm tells us to ascribe, to give to the Lord glory. For in Christ, he is the glory of God revealed. And the psalm calls us to proclaim to the entire world what God will do. And so too in Christ, he will justly and with equity and with faithfulness come bringing judgment. Recall here that we said much of this psalm is pulling in from what King David had sung when the ark was brought into Jerusalem. And if the ark can be with us, therefore God's presence will be with us. And then therefore we will be victorious. Remember the Nazis? That's the idea. Get a hold of the ark and be victorious. Well, Friends, in Jesus, as he has come, he is the fullness of the ark, is he not? Is he not God's law lived out? Is he not the presence of God with us? Those who are with him, are they not victorious? So that where Jesus goes, so goes the very presence of God. And in Christmas, we celebrate that we have something far better than the ark. For in Christ, we have the presence of God Come not just to grant army power, but to save the army from death. For in Christ, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him reconcile himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And so friends, the ark came to us via a babe. But promise that we are holding on to here this morning is that he would ascend to the father so that he could send us his spirit. So too, then the ark is wherever the people of God go and the spirit is in us. And he will even with us now grant us victory. So sing, ascribe, and tell. Would you pray with me? Father, this season we are asking for a joy that comes about when we ponder and reflect on who you are. We we desire gladness and happiness. We want songs and jokes and laughter to be a real thing in our midst. Because even though there's darkness and pain, there's also a coming reality that one day we will see you face to face, that one day we will sing a new song in your very presence about the redemption that's had in Jesus. And we long for that day. We ask and pray in Jesus' name. Amen.